You're listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg-Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org. Hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning, Liberty Harrisburg. Uh, that was a great testimony. And, you know, we that's the mission of all the Liberty Churches, right? To live, speak, and serve the very presence of Jesus. And most of that happens in, like, one-on-one interactions. It's like a kind word to a, a co-worker, a loving deed. So that was awesome, super encouraging. A few ways I just want to encourage you, Liberty Harrisburg, um, just to just to encourage and give thanks. One thing that you guys did, you took up an offering for Water is Basic, which is bringing clean water to South Sudan, the world's newest country. It was almost $7,000, and it's a great ministry doing really important work. Clean water saves people's lives. Little kids die from, typically how it goes, little kids die from bad water, and elderly people both. So by, by doing that, you're actually empowering, uh, they hire a lot of women to, to run well repair businesses. You're empowering women, helping families, saving lives. So you guys were a part of that. This church has the gift of giving. I don't know if you know that. Like you, you guys give to stuff, and I just want to say, praise God, thank you, keep on trucking. You know, let's grow in the grace of giving. We have, we're in this super wealthy nation in history, and by God's grace, and it's a blessing to share what we have with what God's doing around the world, and also do stuff in our region. You guys do that a lot. Keep on trucking. It's awesome. Um, and they're sending Matt and I shirts as a way of thank you. So Matt and I have the shirts. I'm sorry not everyone has a shirt. It's not fair, really. I got the shirt first. Matt's is in the mail. I don't know why that happened, but there you go. Also, you've, you guys have the gift of sending, okay? At the end of April, right before May, and this church prayed for this, there was what was called the Small Town Jesus Conference. I don't know if you guys heard about uh, the stats, but it's a really time, it's a hard time to lead anything right now in the world. Just leading stuff is crazy. Our culture's polarized. It's really hard for pastors. Pastors in rural places uh, have some very unique challenges. And with Liberty, uh, Matt, as Matt leads Acts 29, sort of for Pennsylvania, central Pennsylvania, and one other partner church. We did this small town Jesus conference, and almost 50 pastors were trained, encouraged. It was really, it was really powerful. So thank you for releasing Matt to do that. Um, it wouldn't have happened without him. He led the organization, the whole thing. And just know this about Matt. I mean, and he actually ended. We had a worship service to end and led all the pastors in communion. But um, Matt's a dear friend. I'm just grateful for his friendship uh, as a brother in Christ. And also, he's a really fruitful pastor in our state and in the Liberty Communion of Pastors. Um, Everyone loves him. Everyone really appreciates him, him, like the other leaders of the network. And that's part of the ministry of this church. You released him to do that, um, and it was really good. So praise God. Also, Pastor Bob was there uh, kicking it in central PA which is really fun. You know, our state's beautiful, isn't it? 
we have a great state. I love this place. Let's keep on praying for God's work in our state. The other thing I just want to update you guys on and actually invite prayer, uh, we have the gift of a new partner church in the Liberty Communion. They've taken steps to explore this partnership. Uh, a few years ago, they reached out to me and I said, no, thank you, because I'm leading the Liberty Communion. And about over the past four or five months, uh, started December 1st, they reached out again a year later, and talking with the Liberty Communion team and my wife and I praying uh, uh, praying a ton, inviting other people into that, I've accepted the call to be the lead pastor of Covenant Church of Doylestown. So I'm going to be a lead pastor at a local church and... Uh, some of what, and this is what this means, and this church is like, hey, we, we love this Liberty stuff. We'd like to send our pastors to that stuff. They're going to host a leadership event in February. They're going to give to Liberty. Uh, so that's really exciting. We're going to be able to do more together. And some of the stuff that I've been doing over the past almost three years is going to be given to other leaders in the Liberty Network. And um, since July 1 of 2019, I've been pastor to pastors, pastor, and pastoring pastors and leaders throughout these nine churches. And I've really loved it. I'm at a different church every week. Uh, it's kind of like being in the band Fish. You're always on tour. Some of you like that joke. Some of you, that did nothing for you, you know? That's one of the things I bring here. Uh, it was good for the network, right, being at a different church each week. I actually have a friend who was like, Huber, we should make you a tour shirt, and we'd have like, you know, 150 dates on it. It would be weird. <laughs> and also, I think by God's grace, it was good for our network. Uh, but I miss being rooted in one local church. I like love, you know, I, I had the blessing of helping see this church be planted and was part of that process. That's a joy. And so it's, you know, I'm like your crazy uncle that comes to visit you and it's like, hey, I've been thinking about you. I prayed for you. I love you guys. I'm like that. And I'm also, you know, Jesus loves the church. Here's the thing. Jesus loves the church. And I really missed being rooted in one local particular congregation. I think um, we're really praying as a Liberty leadership team that it'll be a good partnership with this church covenant, and we're actually going to have, uh, Pastor Bob, please, please pray for this at the prayers of the people, we're going to have a retreat for Liberty Pastors in the middle of this week, and we're just going to seek to encourage each other, strengthen each other, pray for each other. The lead team of the Liberty Communion, which Matt is a part of, we're going to have about a day to just think through what needs to shift to other people, and I'll have about a day half day to a day a week next year, Lord willing, to continue to serve the network. But other people are going to step up. And that sounds like a well-crafted talking point. Like Huber, you're saying, hey, don't, don't worry about it. It's even going to be better. But we actually really believe that. You know, I have certain gifts and not others. And this could really be a game changer for the network, having other people step up uh, we're going to have, for instance, we're, the guy who's leading our international partnerships is a 69-year-old pastor 
part of our network, Angelo Giuliani. He just got back from a three-week trip to Africa. He's been there over 20 times in the past uh, 15 years. And he loves missions. And we're like, you know, this is amazing. Lead the network in our international mission stuff. So that's happening. Pray for this retreat. And um, pray for us. Pray for Covenant Church as we seek God's grace and wisdom in this transition. So, hey, I'm going to dive into it. This is week three of a series on the goodness of God. Okay? Week three on a series of the goodness of God. Matt opened it. Um, Bob did part two. And now me, week three. Let me just read a couple verses of Psalm 73. Let's read together. I'll, actually, I'll read. You listen. I wasn't asking you all to read with me. You get it. Let's, let's listen to God's word. A psalm of Asaph, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. So this is what's going on. Asaph is a worship leader. Okay? He's the Jordan poor of the time of David. He writes songs, he leads in worship. And he says, hey, God is good. Surely God is good. God is good to Israel. Israel is kind of code word for all of God's people. God, you're good to your people. And also, he admits that he struggled. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. And this sermon is about doubting the goodness of God. Because of suffering, Maybe it's the stuff you see going on out the window or in the news. It's the war in Ukraine, or it's suffering, or it's, it's tragedy. And you're like, where is the goodness of God in this world? Maybe, it's, maybe you're wondering if God is good because there's change in your own life that you're longing for, you're aching for. You're single and you don't want to be, or you're married and you're like waiting for this to shift, or you have a job that you hate, or you feel lost about what to do next in some situation, or just the burden of life. Maybe it's the trauma of COVID, right? We're coming out of that, sort of coming out of it, but it's still there. Maybe you're saying, where is God in all this? And there's different ways to wrestle with the gift of God. One of those ways is, and this has happened, and there's been chatter, this has been noted online, is to deconvert, to doubt God's goodness so much, hey, that you're like, I am not a Christian anymore. There's that. In the image here, he says, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. And here's, here's what's going on with that image. If following Jesus is a journey, is a path, he's saying, I about tripped. I about wandered off. I almost stumbled and completely lost it. And the, the Psalms, and remember, this is a prayer. This is a song to sing. And we're actually invited into another man's deep struggle with the goodness of God. This is a deep struggle with the goodness of God. So for those of us, maybe for some of us, it's very, you can articulate, I am wrestling with the goodness of God. 
You're like, I, I feel that exact sentence. Other of us, maybe just, maybe you're kind of going through the motions. You're dry, which is also another way to wrestle with the goodness of God. You're at worship, but you're not clapping that hard. And heart, okay, he says, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Heart is a word that's mentioned six times in the psalm. It's where the action is. Look, what you need to know, and maybe some of us here or watching online, you're wondering if God is even there. You wonder if there is a good God, if God exists and he's actually revealed himself and there's a way to connect with the God. Maybe that's you. Wherever you're at, you've been a Christian for a while and you're wrestling with the goodness of God, you're wondering if this is even real. There's stuff for us in the psalm. We're invited into this man's journey and this is a song to sing, a prayer to pray for followers of God. All right? So let's... Let's dive in. Wrestling with the goodness of God. Listen to why. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. As for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts, struts through the earth. Therefore, his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge with the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease, they increase in riches. Now just pause here for a second. The classic problem of evil is why do uh, awful things happen to good people? Here are people trying to be good, and bad stuff is happening to them. This is the reverse. He says, why is he wrestling with the goodness of God? It's because awesome stuff is happening to wicked people. Look, verse 3, I was envious of the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Here are people who hate God, don't follow God, are awful, are violent, and prideful, and their lives are awesome. Where is God in that? Look at what he says. They're not in trouble as others are. They're no pangs. They're healthy. They have wealth. They have health. He's like, how does that add up? Um, their eyes swell out through fatness. Here's what that image means. In a lot of places in the world, South Sudan is one of these places. There's places like this in Central, all over the world. In subsistence farming situations, everyone's super, super thin because you're trying to have enough food to survive. And if you're prosperous, there's more meat on your bones. And he's saying, you know what, they're so, they're so, they have so much, you can see it in their face. That's not fair. And their pride, they scoff and speak with malice. They're awful to every people. They set their mouths against the heavens. Their tongue struts through the earth. They're like, I can do what I want. I can do what I want. Look at me. 
And Asaph is a worship leader. He's like, like, where is God in that? Here are people trying to follow God. And he's saying, like me, and I'm suffering, man. My life's not working out. Here are people, here are people doing whatever they want. And from what I can see, it looks like their life is awesome. They have prosperity. And he says, there's, look, there's a gap between what God says and what I see. God says that the way of the wicked is not awesome. You know, it's not going to be awesome. That the way of the wicked is going to blow up in your face. And Asaph is saying, from what I can see, doesn't seem to be working out like that. Now, it's interesting, he's admitting, what when I saw. He's admitting, this is my perspective. There's a companion, there's a, an opposite-sounding verse in Isaiah 11, where there's this future suffering servant, there's this future servant of the Lord, who's Jesus, okay, who's going to come, and you know what this servant is going to do? Not judge by what he sees. He's not just going to say, hey, this little snapshot, what I fit in this Polaroid, is actually ultimate reality. There's actually a bigger reality that I need to take into account. But Asaph is saying, from what I see, it doesn't make sense. And he's filled with envy. And people are being misled. Look at verse 10. Therefore his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. I, here's an example of how this cultural moment misleads people. We have it pounded into our hearts, minds, and souls from all the advertising that we see. Just drive around, you see advertising. You know what one of the messages is? Your life is your own to do whatever you want with it, whatever you see fit. You are yours. Now, there's some seeds of truth, Right? Like, you shouldn't be just oppressed by another human being. Um, hey, granddad was a cobbler. You're a cobbler now. I don't care what you want to do. I'm a cobbler. You know, that used to be the medieval world, right? And even the world of a few hundred years ago. I don't care what your dreams are. Do what other people tell you to do. There's some seeds of, like, God has made you with dreams, passions, desires. But also, okay, the message that your life is your own is disconnected from biblical reality. If you were made by a God, we actually owe something to God. And actually we will become most free, most who we are made to be, most alive by connecting with that. His people turn back to them and find no fault in them. Asaph is saying, you know what, everyone... This, the wicked have a blog, everyone loves it and reads it, and they think it's awesome. The wicked are kind of controlling, there's messages that are misleading the people of God. Look at verse 11, and they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease, they increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands. In innocence, for all the day long I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. It seems, Asaph admits, and let's just admit that this can register in our conscience, we can live like this. 
it seems like God doesn't care about what people do. These people are violent, mean, steal. They're winning right now. They have more points. It seems like God doesn't care. Does God care what people do or not? And he's a little bit self-pitying, which is it's convicting because this is our self-talk. He says, man, my life is hard every day, and I'm doing the right thing, and does it even matter? Does it even matter trying to do the right thing? Or does that just make you lose? And then he has a gut check. Look at the gut check. The gut check is verse 15. If I had said thus, if I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. What he's saying is, if I, if I say this to kids, it's crazy. Like, we're not going to have a Sunday school class in Liberty Kids. Hey, kids, here's the lesson. You can try to do the right thing. It really won't turn out well. Evil people win. Thank you. Come back next week. Evil will triumph. It doesn't matter. God really doesn't see what you do, I guess, apparently. Thank you for Sunday school class. That is not true, right? And he has a gut check. He says, if I said that to children, I would betray them. You would harm children by saying that. He has a wake-up moment. He's like, the headspace I've got in is crazy. The headspace, he says, I'm wrestling with the goodness of God. He's self-pitying. I feel stricken. And he says, this is a crazy headspace. Now apply this to yourself. When's the last time you went through a Facebook feed and it's like, you're like, I'm not on that vacation. I'm, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. All in all say Facebook feeds are self-created. You know, no one's like, crappy Monday. Wife is mad at me, you know, headed to my meaningless job, you know. They're all sort of self-created to be awesome. But when something, you've seen someone else's life, and instead of being, and this is statistically proven, right, in social media, do more social media if you want to be sadder about your life. Free tip. If you want to be less content and just think your life is lamer, just be online more. You're welcome. Write that down. If you're like, I'd like to be less thankful, more envious of others, and actually be more reactive. Spend more time online. That's what's happening to everybody, right? But he's like, I know saying that, if I spoke what I'm thinking in my head, I would betray children. This isn't what we speak to children. But then there's a deeper turning point. Look at the next verse. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. He doesn't say, you know what, I figured it out philosophically. I just went off by myself and figured it out. I tried to understand suffering in the world. I tried to figure it all. And he doesn't say, you know what, I did the math. I came to the right answer. He says, I tried to figure it out. It was wearisome. I couldn't figure it out. And the invitation to us is he says, you know what helped me? Encountering the goodness of God in worship. What helped me was coming into God's presence. What helped me with my doubts 
about following Jesus and Christianity, what helped me, and there's a process here. We don't have to say like, oh, he went and it just snapped his fingers and it completely lifted off him. It can be a process. But he encountered the goodness of God in the sanctuary, which is, okay, the sanctuary, it's the place of holiness and worship. He encounters the goodness of God, and God enables him to see himself truly. And two things happen, okay? The first is he realizes that the way he was thinking about the wicked is a mirage. Look at the next verses. Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes. O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. He encounters God's reality in worship. And you know what happens? He realizes, look, here's the thing. Um, Everyone judges other people all the time. We're like, that was a good... If someone, if you discovered someone burned your neighbor's house down, you wouldn't say, well, we're not, it's not our place to judge. We'd say, no, that's wrong. That's terrible. And that's because God has planted the seeds of the knowledge of right and wrong in every human heart, even when we twist it, deny it, and suppress it. And that's because there's a good, holy God who is actually, okay, this is a biblical truth that we need to like have in our lives, or we've detached ourselves from the living and true God. The biblical truth is that God is the creator of the world, the maker of every human being who's ever lived, and every sin in history will either be forgiven or will be judged. Every single one. Every human being that has ever lived or will live will either experience forgiveness and grace from God because of his glory and the depth of his grace, or fair payback, which is called judgment from the eternal God of the universe. Because God is good, and that's why he hates certain stuff. God is good, and that's why he hates stuff. Like, apply this in like a normal relationship. You wouldn't be like, hey, I lived by a really sweet old lady near me. She's just really kind. She's really good. But she does have this thing about torturing pets. It's a little weird. You would recognize that's crazy talk, right? Because if you're good, you're against certain things. Well, the living, eternal, holy God of the universe is against everything that pollutes, degrades humanity, all of our lying, cheating, stealing, lust, foolishness, thanklessness, demeaning other people, all the ways that we experience a taste of hell in this world and unleash some hell in this world. And God hates it all. Asaph remembers, he might have been even thinking of another psalm. There's a psalm, Psalm 11. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see. His eyelids test the children of man. Oh, we're tempted to think, yeah, it doesn't matter. You can kind of do what you want. You know, just do what you want. 
Psalm 11 says, actually, the God of the universe sees and he remembers. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. When we see something on the news that's crazy, think of the war in Ukraine. We're like, how could people do that? And no one knows. Actually, the comfort of that psalm, God sees, he never forgets, and okay, his soul hates the wicked. Violence, he hates that. Here's another biblical teaching. 1 Timothy 5. The sins of some men are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. Some sins are obvious. Okay, right? Like, it's, think of a terrible addiction. You lose your job. It ruins your body. It turns upside down all your relationships. Those, that's obvious slavery and sin, right? There's other sins that are like a long fuse. It's going to blow you up, maybe eternally. But on the outside, you feel fine. There's ways to be like a good-looking soccer dad or a good-looking soccer mom, and you seem, picture an American family or an individual who seems so successful and happy, and God says, I hate your self-reliance, your pride, your thanklessness, and those sins will catch up to you. Now, and, and the God, and people think like, look, um, well, God just loves to forgive sin. He does love to forgive sin, but we forget the holiness of God. He also hates sin. And the, on the cross of Jesus Christ, the cross of Jesus Christ reminds us of two things. Our forgiveness cost the death of the Son of God. God hates sin so much, he had to pour out all his anger and judgment on Jesus so Steve Huber could be saved, so Matt could be saved and forgiven, so every person could be saved. God hates sin, and yet he also loves this world. And if we've forgotten about God's hatred of sin, we've actually forgotten God, or we're worshiping a God of our own making. I, you know, here's something healthy about our cultural moment, and also something completely bananas and destructive. What's healthy about our cultural moment, we value authenticity. Hey, what are your thoughts about God? What are your thoughts? And that's true. Like you just can't, you're not a Christian just because your grandparents were Christian or because someone else is believing for you. How do you interact with God, right? That's the healthy part of it. What's, and we value the individual where God made us all. There's some health in that. But also, it's produced a moment in Western culture in general, let's speak to America in particular, because this is where we are, where everyone's an expert about everything, like we share our opinions online. You know, it's, everyone, we all know everything, and we treat God like, okay, we have to land certain, we have to have positions about God, but we treat God like a buffet. Like, I'm going to go out down the buffet, and I want to take some of this. This is what I believe about God. Oh, and somehow, some peas and carrots got on my plate. Well, I don't want that. I'm going to put that back. And then we choose our own adventure, and actually, you know what we've done? We made an idol. We've created a God of our own making. And it's not the real God. 
You know, we look down on ancient people. Why would you fashion something yourself and then worship it? That's what Western people do when we take a choose-your-own-adventure approach to spirituality. There's nothing to submit to. There's nothing to discover. And a buffet, uh, have-it-your-way version of spirituality. And that's why the scriptures say repeatedly, like God loves us enough to just go, hey, that's not me. We don't do that in any of our other relationships. You don't meet someone and be like, hey, I've always thought of you as like a unicyclist. And the person's like, I'm not a unicyclist. You know, if someone said that to you, I've always thought of you as like a juggler. This is what I, you would say, you don't know me. And we think we can concoct thoughts about God and he's going to be into it. Like God's going to go, like what Jesus say, many will claim my name on that day and I will say, I never knew you. And you don't know me. God is not playing around. And the stuff, like, it's loving to say to people, hey, and this is why I'm pleading with you. It's love, God loves us enough to wake us up out of our fantasy and to say, you are embracing not the real God, but the God of our, your own making. And the God, the real God, is a holy God. Now, guess what? It's good news for the wicked, which, guess what? All of us are wicked sometimes. All of us need to be forgiven. Am I saying that there's no hope for the wicked? No, I'm not. Does that mean there's no hope for me? It says here, God says, like, I hate those who love violence. There's actually, the gospel is so deep and so powerful. There's forgiveness for all who would come to Christ. About once a month, um, he calls me his big brother. I call him my little brother. I talked to a man that I, I met him when I was 21 working in a children's home. He was like eight. Now he's 40-something. He's going to do about 40 years for murder. And he's about halfway through. And a question he's asked me, what would you say? He's like, Steve, I just talked to him Friday. But I remember a few years ago when he asked me point blank, is there forgiveness for me? I murdered someone. And the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus didn't just die uh, for little sins. Jesus died for the deepest, worst sins. And this man is a Christian now. This man is a Christian. And trust Jesus. He's like, I thank God every day that I am forgiven and he just asked me, I just talked to him Friday, he asked me for a King James Bible, a uh, large print, because he's like, that's what they use in our you know, 50-man prison worship service, the King James. So to follow along, i got to get on board with the these or thous. Can you send me one of those for my birthday? His birthday is in May. I'm going to send you a King James Bible. I will buy you a King James. Hey, the good news is, there's forgiveness for him. And if that sounds weird to you, two things. You don't know the depth of God's grace, Jesus. You probably don't know the depth of your own sin either. Because actually, um, 
Look, some sins are worse than others, but Jesus died for them all. Do you believe that? We can't. God loves us enough to snap us out of the fantasy of a pretend God, self-created God. And he also sent his son to save us from real stuff. The psalmist here wakes up, God, like a dream when one awakes, when you rise yourself, you despise them as phantoms. They're good. People who live apart from God, those sins catch up. And that's a warning to all of us. If you're not in Christ, this means don't stiff-arm God. Don't try to avoid Him. Don't run from Him. Try to walk towards Him. Get some help. God is here, even today, maybe wants to save you. Maybe He wants to meet you. And if God could change a guy like me, He could change anybody. Asaph remembers when he worships the greatness of God, the goodness of God. God will judge sin. He also forgives it. And that's really what he describes next. Look at verse 21. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart. He's like, man, when I was in this headspace that was just dark, twisted, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Listen to the grace in this. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart might fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. How, how beautiful is that? He's like, I was in a bad place, and you know what? God never left me. God held my right hand. He doesn't say, have you ever uh, crossed the street? There's a lot of little kids in this church. You know when you cross the street with little kids? They might, you know, you let them hold your hand at the mall, maybe, right? But actually, Dad has a hold of the hand. So if the kids are like, oh, I'm just going to run this direction, Dad has them. And Asaph is saying, God's grip he never took his grip on me, even when I was dark. And that's the gospel. Jesus died for us even when we were still sinners. Asaph receives mercy for the way he questioned God's goodness. Um, 2015, and look, there's been different seasons, different seasons when I've really personally struggled with this. Doubting the goodness of God. Why are we going through this suffering? When will this end? Uh, I have a, one of my kids has had a long journey in and out of addiction. I was in a low point on this, on vacation at a remote beach in 2015. I was reading a good book about suffering, Tim Keller's book on suffering. It's really helpful. I recommend it. Also, it was doing nothing for me. I was like, you know what this, you know what the answers? And he wasn't trying to say like, here are the answers. That's not how he rolled. But I was actually had this And this is over months, but I had this freak-out moment on vacation where I'm running down this remote beach, miles away from any human being, kind of praying, kind of screaming, God, where are you? And this is the best book on suffering? I'm ready to... It just seems so dry. Where was I? And you know what happened? I think a bunch of people were praying for me. But the, 
God in his grace over the next, really that week, lifted some things off me. And I mean, ultimately was given grace to just submit to the mystery. And I can tell you today, God's met us in his kindness and goodness. He has met us. My daughter's walking with Jesus. He has, look at Jesus. Look at what Jesus has done for us. Somehow God lifted it off. I can't, I can't, I wasn't like, I didn't logic my way out of it. I wasn't like, hey, I have these bright thoughts now. I think I found the answer. I'll write a blog post. I ultimately just encountered God by his Holy Spirit and trusted him. And God needed to help me do that. Look, if you're a Christian, you're grasped by God. He has his hand on you. You're guided by him. You will be with him forever. Every tear will be wiped away. Sometimes we're going to have freak out moments in this life. Sometimes we're going to have dark moments. Know that there's a God that's pursuing you. And what you ought to do, people are like, hey, I'm struggling with the goodness of God. I guess I'll just leave the church for a while, see how that goes. What they've really done is join the church of unbelief. It's just like, hey, I'm going to be with people, everyone who hates this and thinks it's stupid, and then just see if that's helpful. No, you've just joined the church of unbelief. And that's going to be reinforced. If you're struggling, get people to pray for you. Reach out to God. And where is the sanctuary now? Where is the sanctuary? Well, it's the, the people of Jesus. It's in your Bible studies and stuff like that. It's when we, we like actually, we need each other. Uh, some of what ministers the presence and the grace and the wisdom and the reality of God when someone looks you in the eye and says, I love you, God loves you, he gets it, he's not gone. God gives us grace in that too. In the beginning of the psalm, he says, surely God is good. Surely God is good. And do you see how it ends? Behold, those who are far from you shall, per- shall perish. You put an end everyone who's unfaithful to me, to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I've made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. It's like, here's how you know when you've encountered the goodness of God, when you want more. When you're like, wow, Jesus is so good. I want to go deeper in this relationship. God is so kind. When, and there might, it might be experienced as ache and longing, not tasting, but at least, you know what? You become to be hungry for the right thing. Let's actually expect, as we go through times where sometimes we doubt the goodness of God, that God is actually in the sanctuary, the community of his people, where he dwells by his spirit, and God is actually going to meet in that, and we can say, surely God, you're good, and I'm battling to say that. I am saying it, but I know I'm lame at it, and I'm wrestling with it, and surely I want to be near you. That as for me, it is good to be near you. Allow me to pray for us as we come to the table. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for everyone here who does not yet believe. I pray they'd see the goodness of God in the invitation of Jesus. Uh, We pray, Lord, too, that we would follow you, the real living God, and not just gods we've made, we've made up. And 
God, we just thank you for your kindness. Nevertheless, even when we struggle, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. Lord, hold us. We pray that even now as we come to the table where we remember that Jesus is here, present even now to build us up. Lord, may we taste your goodness. May we say it is good to be near you. May we run after you. Lord, have mercy on us and meet us, we ask. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.